Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to episode 93 of District of Conservation. Today's guests are Avine Klein and Ellery Tucker-Williams of the Congressional Sportsman's Foundation. Now, if you are involved in policy in the conservation movement, you have likely heard about CSF. CSF is bipartisan. They work with both parties to advance true conservation efforts, and they have been doing this since 1989. And CSF has maintained a singleness of purpose that has guided the organization to become the most respected and trusted sportsmen's organization in the political arena. CSF's mission is to work with Congress, governors, and state legislatures to protect and advance hunting, angling, recreational shooting, and trapping. The unique and collective force of the Congressional Sportsmen's Caucus, the Governor Sportsmen's Caucus, and the National Assembly of Sportsmen's Caucuses Working closely with CSF serves as an unprecedented network of pro-sportsmen elected officials that advance the interests of America's hunters and anglers. CSF's stature as a sportsman's leader on policy issues has steadily grown through active involvement within the hunting and fishing conservation community, including leadership and engagement in the American Wildlife Conservation Partners, Council to Advance Hunting and Shooting Sports, and the Alliance for America's Fish and Wildlife at the national level, and Families of Field and the Sunday Hunter Coalition at the state level. Additionally, CSF is represented on the Federally Charted Advisory Council's FACs dealing with hunting, recreational fishing, and wildlife management in the Hunting Shooting Sports Council, National Wildlife Services Advisory Committee, the Sport, Fish, and Boating Partnership Council, and the Marine Protected Areas FAC. Here's my conversation with Avine and Ellery. Ladies, thank you so much for joining District of Conservation. Thank you. Happy to be here. Very happy. Thank you for having us. Of course. Why don't you introduce yourselves and talk about your roles with the Congressional Sportsman's Foundation? Sure. My name is Avine Klein, and I am the Western States Coordinator for the Congressional Sportsman's Foundation. Uh, Congressional Sportsman's Foundation represents the interests of hunters, anglers, um, recreational shooters, and trappers across the United States working with bipartisan elected officials from Congress to state governments and in the governor's offices to advance sound sportsman's policies. And I have the privilege to represent my home state of California, as well as Nevada, Oregon, Washington, Alaska, and Hawaii. Perfect, and I'm Ellery Tucker-Williams. I am Avine's counterpart in the West as the Inter-Mountain Western States Coordinator. So Avine and I basically have similar job responsibilities, except that I represent Idaho, Montana, Utah, Arizona, and New Mexico. And what makes CSF, you know, so effective at what we do is not only do we work with our state and federal legislatures, but we also collaborate very closely with in-state partners, uh, industries, individuals, state fishing game agencies, and other conservation organizations that really have sportsmen's interests and natural resource management at heart. Very good. Yeah, I first came to know your organization, I think, right after I first moved to D.C. about eight years ago. And I think you guys may know Cyrus Baird from Safari Club. He had told me about them and many others have. And 
I have followed your guys's work, um, the organization to be exact. And you guys do a lot. I don't think you guys get a lot of uh, proper acknowledgement and you guys do so much in terms of legislation, uh, working with interagency type related work. And I'm really glad you guys are going to talk about what the organization has been up to just because there've been a lot of things percolating, a lot of things actually happening on the conservation front. And uh, while we are recording uh, on a Thursday, uh, yesterday on Wednesday, the 22nd of July, actually uh, benchmark legislative piece, probably one of the most historic pieces of legislation as it relates to conservation passed in the Great American Outdoors Act. Can you gals speak to that and why it was such an important step for this bill to be passed? And this was in the House of Representatives, obviously uh, passed in the Senate um, a few weeks ago, but uh, now it's passed this other chamber and it looks to be going to the president's desk. So talk about this, the importance of this. Um, kind of the caveats of it, if there, if it was a clean bill and what people can expect, does it actually tackle the problem uh, with maintenance backlog and permanently funding uh, the land and water conservation fund? But I'll, I'll hand it over to you ladies to explain uh, kind of the significance behind this. Yeah, thanks, Gabriella. The Great American Outdoors Act passing, you know, both the House and the Senate and uh, heading to uh, President Trump's desk is just truly a once in a lifetime piece of legislation. This, you know, a great win for sportsmen, but not just us, uh, but for also for all outdoor recreation participants. And, you know, the Congressional Sportsman's Foundation was working for years to, to see this type of legislation pass and working with the Congressional Sportsman's Caucus members on Capitol Hill. Um, this piece of legislation providing the vast funding um, that it, that it sets out is really going to have an impact uh, across the nation on the ability of, you know, BLM, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Services, U.S. Forest Service to be able to tackle crumbling infrastructure and maintain public access for the great outdoors. Uh, really incredible work that was done. And specifically, it's to provide $9.5 billion over five years to address uh, as Avine said, America's public land and waters and infrastructures. So it's really important not only just for making sure that those um, properties or those lands are enjoyable, but also helps to improve access for not only sportsmen and women, but other outdoor recreational activities. So it's really just a win for everyone that enjoys the outdoors. It's pretty significant. Right. And I know for uh, the part of the deferred maintenance backlog, it's to not only tackle the National Park Service, but some other agency lands as well. Is that correct? Yeah, that is correct. And, you know, everybody loves the outdoors. We love our national parks, but there's so many more ways to enjoy the outdoors. that's outside of a national park system. Um, so this really does address the concerns of sportsmen and women across the country on all public lands. And this will be a really, really great bill, and, and we're optimistic for a signature from the president here, here shortly. Absolutely. And it, it does create a permanent mechanism funding structure or permanent funding mechanism for the Land and Water Conservation Fund, yes? Yes, it does. At uh, $900 million annually, uh, really impressive. Okay, yeah. And, and how soon do you think um, sportsmen and other outdoor recreationists will feel this impact? What, um, I don't know if I read the finite details about implementation, but how soon after uh, signage from President Trump would this be implemented? Do you know?
I don't think we, we specifically, Avina and I don't know the nitty gritty details of this. Um, our boss, Andy Treehorn, who um, was very influential in this, um, would probably have a little bit more information on on those nitty gritty details, but I'm sure that it will be as, as soon as possible because we all want to see see things get get fixed on the ground. Right. And no, I wasn't putting you guys on the spot. I was just curious if you had any insight into that. Um, but yeah, I, I probably what, six months to a year. Usually that's how most bills are um, typically implemented, I think, within that time frame. But yeah, it, it really is historic um, for sure because yeah, they've kind of kicked the can down the road on this. And it was a bipartisan problem. I know when it came to deferred maintenance backlog, there was a great article in Outside Magazine from a former National Park Service ranger who works with uh, the Property and Environment Research Center. And uh, he had written this great piece that actually laid out like the problem with uh, both Democrat and Republican administrations not tackling this problem with infrastructure and improving um, access points and, and abilities for people, different types of recreationists, whether they're immobile or not immobile um, from going to these places. So it's, yeah, it really is a hallmark uh, piece of legislation. And I think a lot of people are very excited. You get like both conservationists and preservationists excited about this rarity <laughs> in Washington these days. But it, it, it's a momentary uh, bipartisan, truly bipartisan um, achievement, I would say. Absolutely, absolutely. And just another just significant part of this piece of legislation is not only does it help address maintenance backlogs, but with COVID going on and whatnot, it helps to create over 100,000 employment opportunities. So that's a really big deal considering the connection to COVID and how we're kind of trying to figure out how to navigate these these new waters moving forward. That's good. I didn't know there was an employment component to that. So thank you for sharing that. Why don't we segue into this uh, 30 by 30 global initiative that you told me about, Aideen. Uh, what is it and um, what should sportsmen be concerned about with it? Uh, because it sets like an arbitrary deadline to protect 30% of lands and waters. It sounds noble and laudable, you had told me, but um, there are some implications with that. So can you talk about that and why we should be a little leery about that or concerned? Yeah, thank you, Gabriella. This 30 by 30 movement, uh, so the, the idea behind that is to protect 30% of the world's lands and waters by the year 2030. And it is truly a global initiative. Um, we're seeing it at the, the UN. Um, we're hearing about it in Congress. Uh, actually, uh, Speaker Nancy Pelosi uh, addressed the 30 by 30 movement on her floor speech for the Great American Outdoors Act, as we were just talking about. And as you mentioned, it's a a great broad goal. Sportsmen and women forever have been the people, the first people to step up for our natural resources and protecting our natural resources. But where there could be cause for concern is how is that goal going to be implemented? How is it achieved? And can we define the objectives and the measures in order to achieve 30% protection of lands and waters by the year 2030? Um, for example, we're already starting to see legislation and policies pop up about 30 by 30 across the country. Um, California, I will go into more details about some of the issues that we're, we're seeing with the bill in California, but we've also seen 30 by 30 legislation in South Carolina. We have seen a 30 by 30 marine initiative in Hawaii, and we have seen a resolution in Illinois. So, 
this is just the start, the sports-based community. Uh, we anticipate that we'll start to see this across the country uh, in, the, in the coming years. But I'll, I'll give you some examples of, of why the sportsman's community should be optimistic, uh, yet, yet carefully look at the details of a 30 by 30 policy should that pop up in their respective states. California has Assembly Bill 3030 or AB 3030. And that bill, same goal, to protect 30% of California's lands and waters by the year 2030. Um, however, the sportsman's community flagged the bill um, very early on say with a couple concerns um, about how this bill was, was in print. And we went to the sponsor of the bill and the author of the bill to express our concerns. And some of those concerns were failure of the bill to define protect. Uh, that's a concern for the sportsman's community because depending on who you ask, protect could be very different. We like to differentiate preservation versus conservation. And the sportsman's community is a champion of conservation. And that is active management based on sound science to support our natural resources, um, our wildlife and our waters. And so where we can't define protect, we've got some problems, right? We wanna make sure that this doesn't become a preservation bill that will lock up lands or lock up waters from use and enjoyment for the sportsman's community and all outdoor recreation. And then another area of concern that, you know, the sportsman's community should look out for is an issue we saw in California that failed to identify what lands and waters would fall under the 30% protection. Uh, we asked if the lands and waters that were currently protected in California were going to count for that 30%. And we weren't able to get a direct answer um, from the sponsors or the author of the bill, which, which was a concern for us. Um, you know, California has some of the most stringent and comprehensive environmental protection laws in the entire country. And we are a leader, a foremost leader in California about making sure that we've got protections. Um, some may say too much in the sportsman's community, but were those going to be counted? And, and we didn't get an answer from there. And so we, we raised those two primary concerns, as well as ensuring that access would not be denied or further hindered for the sportsman's community and all outdoor recreationists. And we could not get those assurances in the bill. And in California, we were put in a position to have to take a oppose and less amended um, standpoint on the bill. And we have been in serious negotiations um, with the members of the legislature, with the author and the sponsors of the bill to try and have our concerns heard and have them addressed in the bill. Because where we have a bill that sets large laudable goals with arbitrary deadlines, 30 by 30 sounds nice. It's got a nice ring. Um, but how do we do that? Uh, that's the problem. You know, we've got to make sure that we're defining how to, how to outline and achieve these goals. Right. And um, for AB 3030, I've seen this from the Congressional Sportsman or uh, excuse me, the Center for Sport Fishing Policy. And I, as an avid angler myself in a California native, I was very <laughs> alarmed by the original Marine Life Protection Act uh, restrictions that have uh, been implemented in California because it led to like the shutting off of really key uh, recreational sport fishing spots. And I'd seen their opposition to this because it would actually further restrict uh, even more access on top of what is already restricted and make sport fishing a lot more uh, 
difficult to do. And yeah, that would be, I mean, uh, I think even on the national scale, I think some people sometimes forget that um, not every effort to keep uh, lands in, let's say not federal hands, but uh, to section off more lands for federal use sometimes can be a double-edged sword, kind of in this case where sometimes national monuments, and this is the case that I'm, uh, the example, that's kind of a good example of this, but sometimes if you lock lands in national monument stipulations, a lot of times sportsmen get uh, locked out of those opportunities. That was a case in Arizona, and I've seen some other sportsmen's group kind of say that there's actually a double-edged sword component to this, and you have to be a little leery with these designations. So this 30 by 30 plan kind of sounds a little bit like that, but a little more tenuous and very problematic, especially in a state like California, where it's already very difficult to to go fishing and hunting. And you don't really have support, I would say, um, from some of the state uh, lawmakers there. But yeah, that that sounds like cause for concern. And do you think this could get national traction, too, at the federal level as well? Yes, I, I do, Gabriella. We we see this thing, you know, growing legs everywhere. And with, uh, you know, Speaker Pelosi's address of 30 by 30 within the Great American Outdoors Act, uh, you know, that, that shows that the legislators at the, you know, high ranks of, of our country are, are noticing this. And so it's, you know, incumbent on the sportsman's community to get out ahead of this, uh, is working on defining some principles that the sportsman's community could get behind so that we don't end up fighting a fight uh, like we're doing in California. This should be something that as champions of the outdoors, we're helping lawmakers identify how to implement this so as to not take away opportunities. And, you know, as you had mentioned, the Marine Life Protection Act in California, that was from the 90s. And that is actually what raised the first flag for the sportsman's community out here you know, is this going to be Marine Life Protection Act 2.0? And, you know, and, the, and that bill ended up creating the marine protected areas, as you mentioned. And when managed by the state of California, those are no fishing, no access zones. So they completely locked up large swaths of coastline with key fishing opportunities. And the big concern there is when we saw this bill get amended in the Assembly Appropriations Committee, uh, they actually pointed to MPAs as their means to achieve the protection goals of the bill. As I mentioned, it hadn't been defined, uh, protect hadn't been defined in the bill, and they're pointing to MPAs to, to achieve their goals. So that tells me, that means, hey, if we just lock this up and it becomes preservation, that that's how we're going to achieve our goals. But just leaving lands and waters alone does not achieve biodiversity protection. It does not achieve climate change addressed issues. You know, when we're talking about ocean acidification, we're talking about runoff, we're talking about, you know, any number of issues that you can think of under the climate change issue. If there's no meaning to achieve that, you cannot just have everything go back to sunshine and rainbows by just locking up lands and waters. It doesn't work. And so... We're fighting that and we're supporting this to try to raise our concerns and, and raise some awareness for them about the great work, uh, conservation work that the sportsman's community does, the amount of funding we provide for the state, um, California Department of Fish and Wildlife, 
to exercise and ensure that conservation measures are implemented on the ground. And, um, you know, we're, we're fighting that battle. We've partnered uh, with the Center for Sport Fishing Policy. We have a great coalition. Almost every single sportsman's group has stepped up to the plate in California. We're all working together. We're in the same meetings. And so that's been a really positive um, outcome, a silver lining, if you will, of AB 3030 in California, because it's, you know, we haven't seen the sportsman's community come together like this um, very often. As you mentioned, on the Great American Outdoors Act, that's an example of the sportsman's community coming together. And what we're seeing in California is that's happening. Everyone's operating outside of their silos. You know, it's not just the waterfowl. It's not just this, you know, salt fish or saltwater anglers. It's not just the freshwater anglers, but everybody coming to the table and saying, we share the same concerns. And we need them addressed in order to even move to a neutral, let alone support this type of legislation. So a uh, positive outcome from that. And we'll continue to fight this bill. It just, has just moved to the Senate in California. And uh, we've got the sportsman's interest at heart. And we will do everything we can to make sure that uh, you know our outdoor pursuits are protected for the next generations to come. That's good. Yeah, because that, if that were to uh, uh, transpire in other states, I mean, California is known as a petri dish for experimental policies, many of them, unfortunately, very bad. And uh, whatever starts in California usually is absorbed by other states. So, yeah, can you guys keep me posted on the, the front, on the legislative front, if uh, this hopefully dies or uh, is clarified a bit more? I, I would appreciate that, too. You guys can do that. Absolutely. We'll we'll let you know and you can always follow, um, you know, CSF or subscribe to our Sportsman's Voice um, e-newsletter that comes out each week. And as this bill moves, we'll be sure to update, you know, any of CSF on what's going on and and what to look out for, because this is a big bill uh, with a lot of, uh, you know, implications for the future. Right. Right. Ellery, why don't you talk about what other uh, key issues you guys are focusing on, uh, whether it's on the state level or the federal level, um, aside from the Great American Outdoors Act? What, kind of what are some next item goals that you guys have? Absolutely. Well, you know, uh, recently there was published was the Wildlife of the 21st Century, yes. which is basically um, kind of the top priorities of the outdoor sporting conservation community. Um, by the American Wildlife Conservation Partners that kind of basically puts forth to the next administration and the next two Congresses the top recommendations in order to help advance and protect the outdoor sporting community, conservation, and our natural resources for the betterment of future generations of sportsmen and women. Um, So it's a fairly extensive document uh, has, oh, I think, around 50 individual organizations, sporting conservation organizations that have gotten together and agreed upon top 10 recommendations for this, like I said, this next administration and the next two Congresses as far as how to manage our resources, you know, our fish, wildlife, and habitats across the nation using sound science-based conservation. Good. And how about any other uh, legislative pieces that are kind of trending in Congress or with the passage of the Great American Outdoors Act, there's kind of a backseat taken on other issues. Is there anything else aside from kind of things that are happening in the state legislatures? Because I know with COVID, everything has kind of been disrupted um, with respect to that. But anything else that you guys are working on, too? I know that um, we're 
still staying pretty active and engaged with uh, Recovering America's Wildlife Act, so RAWA. Um, I don't know, Avine, if you want to add a little bit onto that, but I know that's kind of the next next one on our list. But most of our attention at the federal level, at least, has been very much taken up by the Great American Outdoors Act and this um, wildlife for the 21st century. Yeah, something, Gabriella, that the CSF, um, you know, took a lead on and partnered with many of our great uh, conservation NGO partners to address COVID uh, is something that I know you've already talked about on a podcast, and that is the hashtag responsible recreation campaign. Um, When COVID came out, we started to see state fish and wildlife agencies consider closures. um, And we, as the sportsman's community, wanted to step up to the plate as leaders in the outdoors and set an example for, you know, anybody who's enjoying the outdoors during COVID. Uh, And so we launched the Responsible Recreation Campaign that uh, it tells people how to recreate responsibly uh, during these times where we are at, you know, locked inside, right, for your sanity, need to get outside, enjoy the outdoors. Our sportsman community heritage, you know, fishing, some of our hunting activities, you know, intrinsically uh, promote social distance. And so we have set out a set of guidelines. Um, We've seen great attraction on that campaign with partners from the NGO world, individuals, industry saying, if you want to go be outside, let's set an example. Let's be the leaders, the stewards of the land and show everybody else do and how we protect our natural resources. And here's how we can continue to enjoy that for for, um, the time coming during COVID and beyond. Right. And a big key component of the responsible recreation campaign is to just help to maintain access by being leaders, like Avine said, and how to still engage in those activities that we love and care about so much while also being responsible and maintaining social distancing and CDC guidelines and all of that. So it's helping to maintain access while practicing safe social distancing. Very good. Yeah, it's been a very effective campaign. I've seen like a lot of people interact using the hashtag on different social media platforms. So that's good you mentioned that. I want to talk about something a little more lighthearted, but we continue to see more women. I mean, all three of us are women who are sports women. Uh, in some form or fashion, we may have different uh, leveling uh, degrees, varying degrees of experience. I'm more of an angler and I'm fairly new to hunting. I'm not adult onset hunter. I bet you got, you ladies have different experience levels too. But can you talk to that uh, point as to why we are seeing more women, let's say, take the mantle of hunting or fishing? Um, even before COVID, we were starting to see more female participants in uh, these type of sportsmen's activities. But talk about that and why you think it's something worth celebrating or encouraging more. I think a lot of it has to do with just the massive amount of energy and investment and time that states and federal agencies and everyone really is doing in our three efforts. So that's recruitment, retention, reactivation. Um, you know, we're really, really understanding that this outdoor sporting community is seeing a decline in hunters and anglers and recreational shooters in general um, for the last good chunk of time. And so in order to continue to keep funding our state wildlife agencies and our conservation efforts, we really need to get those numbers up. And so we've really started focusing on our three efforts. 
And a lot of that has been attention has been given to the to the females and it's really showing an improvement in female participation. I mean, we, Avian and I attended earlier this year, right before COVID kind of started ramping up was National Outdoor Women's Weekend in Arizona. And it really was focused on engaging women from you know across the country to just participate in shooting activities and wild game cooking and all sorts of different cool things to just kind of bring women into a safe space so they could feel like they can learn and participate and then be comfortable enough on their own to then go out to continue these activities. Yeah, I think a key part of that is, you know, the last sentence that Ellery just said is empowering women to be able to go these activities on their own. Um, and I think that we're seeing, you know, women collectively operating outside of the traditional gender norms. You know, I, I was fortunate to grow up in, out, in an outdoors family. And so this has been something that uh, has, you know, been woven into to my genetics from a very young age. And, um, but, you know, it's how okay, I, do I fish? I go fishing with my dad or I go hunting with my grandpa. Well, women, I think now are becoming, identifying as, you know, stronger. I can go do this on my own. You know, I've got a group of girls. We do a fishing trip on our own every year. Um, and it's making sure that women know that there's a space for them in the outdoors, that, um, you know, you don't have to be a male to be able to shoot a duck. And <laughs> it's it's really awesome to see a lot of the groups that are coming together and forming um, that do women-specific trips and give them the tools to be able to say, hey, I can go do this on my own. Um, I can exist in the outdoors on my own, under my own power to go get my elk or to go fishing. And so I think it's, it's really awesome to see more women operate in this space. I always love my, uh, my girls fishing trips and getting to see that girl gang grow uh, is really something awesome. Definitely. And also, I think a lot of it, too, has to do with this kind of locavore movement that we've been seeing kind of nationwide. I mean, sportsmen and women in general have kind of always had that mindset, but it's really bringing into the fold of the hunting and fishing community is being more conscientious of where your food comes from. And so it kind of has shifted to that perspective as far as you know, women or other individuals that may not traditionally have been interested in these activities are more concerned about where their food comes and having healthy food and providing it for themselves. And so it has brought in a new, a new vein into the, into the community, which is great. I mean, everyone's buying licenses, everyone's providing funding and everyone's supporting conservation. So it's, it's quite wonderful. It really is. And I think um, one of the sunny spots of this crazy pandemic is the surge in license sales. I wonder if we're going to see a really big uptick among women hunters or new participants. So we'll have to keep a track of that. But it, it really is positive. And I think women are starting to settle in, uh, seeing that more of them are doing this. The barriers have kind of been broken. Um, they're not just being force fed to wear pink. Uh, so they see that they can do this, that they can provide and be self-sustaining for themselves or for their families. And it's, yeah, it's really beautiful to see. And I think a lot of people don't really know that. And uh, we just have to do a better job of highlighting that in the industry and just talk about it and showcase our pursuits and trips. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I am personally happy, although I do love pink. Um, 
nothing no. wrong with pink, but I know that <laughs> there's a big yeah, controversy to have, about to have more clothing options uh, yeah. in, in pink highlights. Uh, that's an enjoyable subset for me. <laughs> No, I have some pink uh, laden stuff myself, but I know there's a controversy attached with like, oh, women only like pink. It's like, yeah, some women do, some women don't. It's like anyone to each their own uh, type of deal. Uh, but anyway. hand me down, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> hey, as long as it's comfortable and it keeps you warm or cool and it, it does its job, doesn't matter what color you wear. <laughs> my, my brother has good taste in hunting clothing and generally spends more than I do. So I'll take oh his hand. <laughs> Is there anything that we missed that you guys want to talk about here on the podcast? Anything else? Um, how they can get involved with CSF, uh, where to connect with you guys individually and the organization. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Ellery, take no, no worries. Um, so CSF offers two separate free programs that you can go online to our website and subscribe to. AV mentioned one earlier, and that's the Sportsman's Voice, which is our weekly newsletter that basically kind of highlights different things that we're working on or engaged in throughout the country, not only in the different regions at the state level, but also at the federal level. And then if you want to track more specifically legislation that's occurring in your state or on topics that are of interest to you, then we also have something called tracking the capitals and that you can log on to and sign up and kind of basically customize the, this program to track, like I said, issues that you're interested in state specifics that you're interested in. And you'll get emails, I believe daily um, as far as you know, what legislation is coming up uh, opportunities for public comment period and things like that. So that way you can, not only be educated on the issues as they come up in real time, but also you're knowing when you can participate and have your voice be heard. So that way you're on the forefront as opposed to not knowing about something happening and it happening too late. And then changes are occurring that you're not happy with because you just didn't hear about it in time. And that's unfortunately seems to be a common, a common stance that occurs in the sporting community as far as knowing about something too late in the process. And so we're really trying to get this, community engaged early on so we can kind of negate some of these outcomes that are less than desirable. Yeah, and you can also, you know, follow us on social media. We've got Instagram and we've got Twitter and uh, we've got Facebook. You can go to our website, congressionalsportsmans.org, where you can find um, a whole host of resources on, on what we do for sportsman's policy as well as information about our individual, uh, you know, team members who make up CSF and, and do the great um, policy work that, that we do. You know, you'd mentioned earlier in the podcast, Gabriella, that it doesn't have the recognition of, you know, some of our other sportsmen's partners, like the Ducks Unlimited of the world. But, you know, we work very closely with them. And CSF is in a unique space because we're not membership-based uh, as an individual. So we're, our members, quote-unquote, are really the legislators that we work with and operating it in that space and having a direct relationship with bipartisan elected officials across the country to focus on sound sportsman's policy. But, um, you know, we've, 
we've now uh, branched out and we're trying to, you know, increase our awareness with the sportsman's community about what we do and, and how we affect policy change. And so you can support CSF now as an individual um, and keep track of what we're doing and, and join us in the sporting society or just at a little giving level of, you know, $5 here, $5 there. The NGO community through COVID has really struggled um, because of, you know, not being able to host events or auctions and, and many dinners. You know, CSF hosts great events, big, big fun events. And, and unfortunately, those have, have been put on hold. And uh, we're, we're looking forward to the day where we can get our legislators and our supporters together in a room to talk about sportsman's policy and being the champions for our outdoor community. Uh, but until then, you can follow us online and support us virtually. Excellent. I will be sure to link everything you've mentioned into the show notes and I'll throw in your social media accounts too, if you guys want people to come your way too, but this has been such a lovely conversation and I really appreciate you both coming on. Thank you very much for having us. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast today. If you liked what you heard, make sure you're subscribed to us on your preferred platform, especially if you're on Apple podcasts or Spotify. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to never miss a beat or guest announcements. Find us on Apple to leave us reviews. If you feel inclined, that's where most of our listeners hail from. And if you're listening on that platform, go leave us a review, help engage with us, share the podcast, get the word out. Any little effort will go a long way. And I would be really grateful if you can do that. Stay tuned for some more episodes and leave your suggestions on who I should interview next. I should be having some really cool storytellers coming on to talk to you guys.